Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. How do we love people? How does God's love prompt us to love people? Well, in today's episode, Pastor Steve Stratus continues our series in 1 John, where we pick it up in chapter 5. Pastor Steve is joined by a special guest speaker, Jim Gurney. Let's listen. Well, good morning to you, and uh, again, thanks for being here. And uh, I'm Steve, one of the pastors here, and this is my buddy Jim. Many of you know Jim. Jim, actually, I've known for about 25 years, and when he left Portland, he came here to be the youth pastor. And uh, look how you've grown. So, yeah. Oh yeah. my. Yes, I've grown. So, um, just a couple things. Uh, January 31st, some of you know, remember a couple years ago, we started doing once a month a movie at the movie theater. And they gave us the movie theater for free, and, and uh, we said we'd buy food and make concession, and that would be an opportunity for us to invite neighbors and stuff so we would have a discussion after the movie. So uh, Tuesday on the 31st will be our first, first movie since COVID. Uh, we're going to be showing um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and uh, it should generate some good discussion. And uh, so... Again, uh, it's not just for us. It's so that we can reach into the community and cultivate it because that's a part of what we're trying to do. So um, we'll get further information. I'll, we'll get some tickets, get them to you. Um, but put that date, the 30, 31st of uh, January. Okay. So, you know, we've been studying the book of John, 1 John. And, and uh, before we even started, Jim was doing 1 John in one of the small groups. And... Uh, very passionate about it, and so I thought, boy, we're at this place, we're just about three Sundays away from finishing this book, and uh, so I said, Jim, why don't you come up with me and we'll have a conversation about it. Before we do that, I, I want you to, you to remember when we started, and our first Sunday was August 10th, so it was almost six months ago, we talked about the reason John was writing the book in the first place. And he said to them in the first four verses, chapter one, about how he and the other apostles, disciples, had met Jesus. They had seen him. They had touched him. They had handled him. They walked with him. And he was communicating the reality, objectively, of Jesus and who he was as the incarnation of God. And then he said to the readers, that's you and I, he said, uh, I'm writing these things to you so that you might have fellowship with us. Because John was looking for calling the people to a greater intimacy with God. Just having doctrine wasn't enough. Having objective truth wasn't enough. Knowing the Bible wasn't enough. He wanted them to have fellowship. And then he said these words. He said, I write these things to you so that your joy will be complete. And I think we live in a world where that seems to be lacking. Matter of fact, uh, just recently in the Gallup poll in a book called The Good Life, um, and they had been doing this research to, since the 30s, coming out of the Harvard School of Happiness, they said we are at the lowest point in the last 16 years of what it means to be happy. The, the, the research said we are the saddest bunch of people on the face of the earth which is an interesting statement in light of what we think John is trying to communicate to us. 
He's writing to us so that we would be the most joyous people on the face of the earth. And that joy would come from this relationship that we have with Jesus. So let me read the verses again that we're going to talk about, and then we'll jump into this conversation that we're going to have. Because I think this is what, and, and McKibben read it, but let me read it again to you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When John finishes this letter at the end of this chapter, he's going to say, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. And so, Jim, as we start this conversation about these verses, and certainly the first verse of chapter 5 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. John's implication is that to live this life that he's calling us to live doesn't happen without this being born of God peace. So as you think about these verses and what you've read, um, talk to me about that first verse a little bit. Well, the the first thing that comes out to me, um, and and first of all, I I would like to just change the narrative just a little bit. There wasn't that much thought to me being up here. We were we were sitting in a coffee shop having a conversation, and next thing I know, he's like, "Hey, why don't you come up with me?" <laughs> so, so a little preemptive little little thing there. So, um, and and I think I may or may not have gone through First John with a home group. I'm not sure. I can't remember. If you were in my home group and we did, that'd be great if you'd let me know. Um, this powerful time. I do love. Uh, first John, I, I really do, um, and and really, the, the one of the first words that we see is is this word believing, and it's not just the one who believes, but it's it's this. Uh, sorry to get all Greek on you, but it, it's the the present um, participle active, which is this ongoing. It, it's present and it's ongoing with that it's going to continue ongoing. So it's not just this, uh, you know, I was seven years old, I prayed a prayer, I believed, and man, we're golden. I, I think, I think what John... How, how about if you raise your hand? Uh, well, then, yes, okay. then you're golden. Good. Yes. Good. Now, I think what, what John, throughout the whole book, and this just follows along with it, is he's talking about, man, you, you're abiding or you're not abiding. You're... you're you're in fellowship or you're not in fellowship. And like 1 John chapter 3, I believe, where he, where he says, man, the one who abides does not sin, and the one who sins does not abide. So we're, we're not looking to this point, point in time where you made a decision and therefore trying to figure out whether you're going to heaven or not. No, it's talking about this abiding fellowship with the Father, with the disciples, with the apostles, with, with one another. And so when he takes that word believing, it is pregnant with this process 
them constantly coming back. Am I stubbing my toe? <laughs> oh yeah. But I'm believing. I'm believing. It's ongoing. And so I, I just think that's a huge, huge yeah. point in the whole, yeah. the whole epistle. Well, I think part of the reason why, uh, you know, it's like John writes in his gospel, to as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God in chapter one. And so it isn't, like you said, an ongoing decision that we're making. And what's important about that is other writers in the New Testament say, when we make that decision, we become partakers of a divine nature. Oh, powerful. And yeah, that is Peter. very different than a human nature. Yeah. Now, some of you human nature folks are sweet and kind and certainly better people than Jim. But, but because that partaking of this divine nature, this sense of being born of God. And, and you've heard me say it before, and some of you have asked the question, um, being born again isn't just another denomination. Being born again is this transaction that takes place where we're acknowledging our need for Christ and his death and his burial and resurrection and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we begin to be born of the Spirit. Because I know that many people here um, or many people in our world are better people than I am and they're not born again. They're sweeter, they're kinder, they're more moral. Maybe they go to church and they sing hymns and they do all that kind of stuff. But what about those that are not? And so I think what John is trying to say, and he says it not just in this verse, he says it all throughout this gospel and he says it at the woman at the well, he says it uh, to Nicodemus, you must be born again because there's something that has to happen in our lives if we're not going to be slaves to our human nature, which is a sin nature. So he begins with saying, you, you have to be born of God, and in that, your life changes. Now, like you said, it doesn't change because you say a prayer. It is changing in the same way that you're believing and growing in Christ. Yeah, absolutely, being transformed by the renewing right. of our minds, right. this constant process. And, and that process is, once again, it's, it's stubbing our toe, it's confessing, it's, it's sinning, confessing, being right with him, walking in love, stubbing our toe, confessing. And, and we, we get so hung up sometimes, I think, on like, man, I, I just need to avoid sin. And, and certainly we need to avoid sin, but we, we make that the thing. Like that's the bullseye is avoiding sin. And, and in that me being righteous, rather than adhering myself to his righteousness and simply confessing as he brings about another time that I got a little too excited when Herbert threw an interception or something. You know what I'm saying? You had to bring that up. I did, yeah. We're both up here talking before we start of like things that we need to confess to someone from last night's game. Isn't that great? Uh, Cheers. So as we think, uh, (laughs) the second verse he says here, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. And then it says, verse 3, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. As we've gone through 1 John, we've recognized over and over again, John is bringing to our attention these three areas that we're constantly being tested in. If we're going to continue to grow in intimacy with God, it's an ongoing belief that needs to take place 
And a part of the way that this ongoing believing is experienced is through these three areas. And he says one is the, the moral test. It's our obedience to the commands, to the word that God is bringing forth to us. God is calling us to be a different people, obedient to him. The second area was the relational test, where we're challenged to love one another. And that love that we have is not a love that comes as a result of having people who are like-minded like us. Because this love is a love that loves the unlikable. It, it's the love that loves those who are objectionable. It's a love towards those that are offensive. I mean, when we think about those last words of the man who's hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's dying for his friends and his enemies. So oftentimes when we think about love, and he says, if you love your brother, you love me, God. If you love God, you love your brother. And oftentimes you, you meet believers who go to church, who worship, who sing, but they don't love each other. And I know that as we think about people who have offended us, there's a history in our churches of people you know, splitting or leaving or not liking one another. And according to John, oh, really? You might not be a believer. And that's a big, big, uh, that ought to sort of prick our heart a little bit about that. And so when he says this, he tells us the third test is the doctrinal test. And it comes as a result of this word that he's talking about here uh, in this third verse that we're carrying out obedience in his commands. But he says his commands are not burdensome. What do you think he means there? Well, I, I, I think he means that his commands aren't burdensome. <laughs> and by, what I mean by that is almost highlighting his, right? Um, because, man, I, I grew up in the church, and, man, it was burdensome. I, I mean, seriously. Uh, and, and then I went to Bible college, and it got more burdensome. It really did, because there was this, there was this thing, man, all, all over campus that, you know, uh, just the rage was having your quiet time. And everybody understood what that quiet time was. It was reading a chapter and praying for half an hour. And I went through four years of just hanging my head in shame and guilt because I was the type that would just, you know, um, you were supposed to dress a certain way to go to class. You had to wear like a collared shirt and that type of stuff. And I would just, the alarm would go off and I'd push snooze like the 18th time and then grab a dirty shirt off the floor, put it on, collared shirt, dirty, off the floor. <laughs> And, and go to class, and no quiet time, no nothing. But I would be in the dorm at 2 in the morning having these incredible conversations centered around all the homework that I was supposed to be doing. And I actually uh, didn't do real well in school. <laughs> um, <laughs> my wife is going to be horrified. She's not here this morning, so that's good. <laughs> But I actually got kicked out of Bible college for uh, grades. And yet God was moving, acting, and willing in my life, changing the very person that I was. And yet, I didn't make the cut. And, uh, and there were all these commands that I just, 
I just didn't measure up. And they were very burdensome. But the amazing thing, they weren't his commands. They were commands that were based on really good logic, right? Uh, pursuit of God, yeah. I mean, I heard the logic for years. First thing of the day, you're meeting with Jesus. Oh man, that sounds wonderful. Morning, I'm, please, sweetie, don't talk to me. I, I don't want to have a conversation in the morning. Not with God, not with you, nothing. I, my version of a quiet time is really quiet. It's a cup of coffee and nothing else. And yet I had this imposed on me, and I'm, and I'm like going, we've got one passage in Scripture where David says, O oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer. And from that we get morning devotions, and I'm like going, <laughs> you know, living under that guilt and shame. And, uh, and yet I was obedient, trying, fleshly, trying to do the right thing, trying not to do the right thing, and there was no joy. And so it would be like Valentine's Day, like getting my wife flowers and just slapping the flowers down and going, there. That's you what I was doing duty, with God. Right? Yeah, That's yeah, what I was doing with yeah, God. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like loving kids and, and youth groups and stuff, and things were going awesome. But yet, when it came to my own personal life, it was horrific. And so then uh, we had a we had a sermon where um, Stu Weber talked about the guardrails that we've been given these guardrails, and he started talking about the commands of the word being guardrails. And, uh, and that made so much sense to me, to where the journey isn't about looking at the commands and, and the guardrails, because, man, you, you miss the beauty of the drive. You miss the beauty of the experience and, and the life that he has for you. But, man, they're there to save your life. <laughs> and, and that just turned things, and so all of a sudden... And at a time where I, I really wasn't pursuing God at all, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't reading because I was in a funk. And, and somehow I ended up at a, uh, at a Starbucks, of all places, uh, over in Gresham, and uh, I'm meeting with a pastor. I don't know how because, again, I wasn't going to church. This is in seminary. Well, I was in seminary. <laughs> you remember. I do. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> We sat down, and uh, he just said to me, looked me right in the eye, and he said, you know, Jim, if Jesus was here today, he'd want to go fishing with you. And I wept. Like, I knew God loved me, but God likes me. And these commands that he has are actually to give me life. Oh, that's amazing. And then I started looking at Jesus and how he followed the commands. Like the examples he gives, like the, the Good Samaritan. I sit there and go, there's, there's very little command in there, right? Mm. Like, yeah. the, like the Good Samaritan didn't fulfill some like, thou shalt not or thou shalt. He just took care of this guy. And, and the three that passed by, I think it was three or was it two that passed by? Too many. Yeah, too many. Thank you, nice save. Uh, 
they weren't violating any specific law per se, any command per se, and yet they missed the whole point. Yeah. That man, it's, yeah. it's love, yeah. and it's going out of his way, and, and paying the, the price of his time, yeah. of, of physically being there and touching someone and taking care of them, and then checking on them after that. I mean, who's this guy, right? Yeah. 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 It's so interesting, culturally, how we uh, misinterpret those commands and we make them of our own. Because how many of you remember going to church three times a week? Mm. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I remember my daughter one time coming to me and she said, if this is church, I don't want to do it anymore. Because somehow we attribute how many times you do it to how spiritual you really are. It's almost like you think if I just, you know, just get in the water, I'll become a fish or something. It's, it's so different. And then I remember the part of how many of you remember when you came to church and the preacher had a coat and tie on? Well, that changed when I went to Africa and I went into a village and there was a guy and it was 110 degrees and there was a guy speaking with a coat and tie on who was African. And I said to myself, what have we done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're turning him into us instead of into Jesus. And yet at the same time, this sense of burdensome word, because I do think there's a part to it that is important for us. You know, you read through the Psalms and, you know, how shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to the word? You just read Psalm 119, and it's powerful in regards to how the word of God can change our lives. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So there are times when we say we love God and we love our brother that it's, it's somewhat circular. There's this rhythm to it. It's, it's kind of like the, that workmanship poem word that we need all three. We need obedience. Uh, we need to pass the moral test. We need to pass the doctrinal test. We need to pass the, the test. We don't need to uh, evaluate each other, but those are important parts that John is talking about so that we can have intimacy with God. So there are times, I think, in our lives when we do not want to live according to God's word. I mean, think about Galatians 6.1, if your brother be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual in the spirit of meekness, go to your brother alone. That's uncomfortable. That's not some, that's a burden that we feel, but, but I once heard Swindoll said, when you share a burden, it's like um, you're taking that burden on, so a shared burden is half a burden. But the thing we were talking about before, we were at this place last night, and um, I said something to one of the guys there, and when I said it, I went, oh man, why did I say that? And it bothered me the whole night. It bothered me uh, at night. It bothered me when I got up this morning. I texted him this morning. I said, I hope you can come early. I need to talk to you. Because I think that kind of burdensomeness in the word changes our lives because it ceases to be about us. And as confession is good for the soul, it becomes more about him. And so there is a part that we can't just think, because one thing that Jesus is not, he's not Mr. Rogers. Jesus' claims and Jesus' cross set him apart 
in such a way that we're often offended by him. And in that time and in those moments, we're often the people who are offensive. And so I think that this burdensomeness to the word calls us, challenges us to live in obedience to that word because as Jesus said, you shall know the word and the word will make you free. It's, it's kind of like this seeming paradox. In that burden that we carry to be obedient to the word, we experience freedom we've never known. And so I think that's why, why John is saying these words. He's saying, look, if we love the children of God, we're carrying out the commands and these commands are not burdensome. So he goes to these next verses that he says here, which I think are interesting. And again, the burdensome piece, I think, Jim, is that it's that piece that Jesus sort of expresses when, uh, I think Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, don't look upon your own interests, but let oh, yeah. this mind be in you oh, that yeah. is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And that's the command. Yeah. You know... Uh... Any, anybody ever had like a spiritual high? Like you just like, oh man, just everything. Woohoo! And as, as a youth pastor for years, um, it seemed like we'd go on mission trips and like three quarters of people would be on this, this high, this spiritual high. And then they'd come back and we'd all get together and you know, relive it and try to rekindle it. And it just wasn't the same. And I just started looking at that, and it's like we, we prepare to go on this mission trip to serve others. And then we go, and, it, and the food's never quite great. Um, the living conditions aren't really all that great, and, and you're cleaning a restroom that is just like, you know, maybe just take a little dynamite and be done with that one, right? And, and yet you're doing it out of love and service, and you're praying together, and you're really putting yourself aside and you experience this spiritual high and then you come back and we slip into the mode where it's all about me once again and we no longer and you're talking about that freedom that that freedom when we're connecting with Christ when we're putting ourselves I like to use this little phrase with football put yourself on the shelf it's about the team put yourself on the shelf when it's about others man there's such freedom mm -hmm. yeah. such freedom to yeah. love yeah what we were talking about the other day, how many of you, we've got this new year, right? How many of you started your plan to read through the Bible in a year? How many of you are, have already failed that plan? <laughs> and, and we feel like when we stop, oh my, what's wrong with me, right? Or I can never get through it. But we were talking the other day and uh, we had this experience where we're reading through it and we get to this verse and we can't get past it because we've met Jesus in that verse. And we don't need to go any farther because in that verse, in that moment, in that fellowship, in that reality, we've just had fellowship with God. And if I never read another verse again, it would be okay because of that moment because our hermeneutic, which is a big word for uh, objective looking at the Bible, our hermeneutic is Jesus, meeting Jesus is what we're all looking for. And so it is important to hide the word of God in your heart. It is important to study shelf, to show yourself approved. It is important to make that word a part of your life. But the goal isn't knowledge. The goal is Jesus. 
And it is in that moment when we have that experience with God, that's when it ceases to be burdensome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, that meditation on, on the law of the Lord day and night, Psalm 1 type thing, um, I, I do read the Bible, okay? Just, just so you guys understand that. The, the, it's not in the morning, not in the morning, <laughs> but I do read the Bible. But, um, you know, I, I preached probably a year and a half ago, and I used uh, the, the end of Matthew chapter 25 uh, as just kind of an application point or whatever. And um, where Jesus is saying, you know, you clothed me, you fed me, you visited me when I was in prison, all these type things. And they're like going, when did we do that? I said, when you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And uh, that rocked my world. And, uh, and I've been changed. And I meditate on that day after day after day. And, and what he's talking about is loving. <laughs> just, just loving people that may or may not have anything to offer you. And um, so that, that meditation piece, yeah. the, the commands, understanding his commands, absolutely. But it's, it's all this connection with one another. I mean, he breaks it down, right? Fulfilling the law and the prophets with, man, love God, love people. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly that was the message of Jesus, wasn't it? As we think. So as John is going through this, Remember, he wants us to have intimacy with Jesus. And he wants us to have it in that sort of circular realm of doctrine and relational love and obedience to commands. But the goal is not just that we do those things. The goal is, is that we live in the sweetness and the freedom and the power of our Savior. And that's what people see. Because if we're not careful, if we simply take the commands and then we think that's what we need to bring out into the world, then all of a sudden that slippery slope of self-righteousness and judgmentalism becomes a part of the way we live our Christianity. And I think it's such a, a frightening moment when we think that way. Because what people need is Jesus. And it is that living word that he's calling us to be. So we're not saying that the word is important. It's absolutely important. But what we get from it needs to be Jesus. And when we live in it, we live in the realm of the one who was resurrected from the dead, the uniqueness of a savior who dies on a cross. And it is exclusive because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And only through him can people come to that. But that exclusivity is beautiful because it's all-inclusive. That's what makes Christianity, that's what makes it so unique. The exclusivity of it is different. It's exclusive because Christianity is the only all-inclusive religion because of grace, because of forgiveness. Anybody can come. And the reality of us being living epistles is what should happen as we take our time and spend it in the word. The last part of this, Jim, he says in verses four and five, he says, for everyone, is, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So it goes all the way back to that first verse again. And John, if you remember when we were in chapter 4, John said, we need to test the spirits. 
because there's lots of voices out there that are telling us that there are all kinds of ways to this abundant life. But what John is saying, there's really only one way, and is the Jesus way, and is the way of the incarnation. And why that's so unique is we are not trying to achieve some sort of holiness to appease an angry God. We are living in a world where a benevolent God sacrifices himself and brings us to him. We don't achieve it, we receive it. That's what we believe it. And the beauty of that is that it brings this freedom to us to live as overcomers. And that's what Jesus did, right? As he went to the cross and was crucified and was raised again on the third day, it is this resurrection life that brings us this life that we're looking for that allows us to be this kind of people. Overcomers. Yeah. Awesome. I love uh, John Stott had a quote that I read. He said, uh, there are such things as Christian tears and too few of us weep over them. Too few of us weep with them. And I think what Stott is saying as he talks about our lives, when we live in a world where we're always trying to achieve or appease, it's so easy to measure our goodness by others' lack of their goodness. And then that doesn't help us get close to anybody. It causes us to be Pharisees. And when Jesus said to the Pharisees, said, you know, you say you know the scripture and the power of God, and yet I stand in front of you and you don't even know me. And that's the danger for all of us as we live in this world to be a people not simply who are churchgoers and who have the right doctrine or even profess to love God. What John is saying, to the degree that I press into your heart as followers, as family, is the degree that I press into the heart of God. You can't have it, I love God and I don't like you, or vice versa. And so the life of an overcomer comes by way of a faith that works by love. That's what Paul says as he deals with the legalism and self-righteousness of the Galatians. He says in Galatians 5 and verses 6 and 7, he says, faith works by love. And that is what brings us to the place of being overcomers. And I, and I want to say this, Jim. You do that in ways that are incredible. I know you don't want me to say this, but I, I, uh, oh, you did. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I am amazed at how you love people. You love people that most people don't want to love. You love people and look for ways to bless them, to buy a vehicle for them, to put them up in a hotel, to give them a job. And part of this is that I want to thank you for being that kind of person because the kind of love that John is talking about is the kind of love that you live. You're not a church guy. You've already told us that. um, Brian Harris would attest to that. So, um, but the beauty of it is you're much more of a church guy than many church guys because you live the reality of what John is talking about. And to that, um, I am privileged to be a friend. So, so there, what do you have to say? Uh, 
it's not always easy, but man, it's always good. And uh, not a very good businessman. <laughs> it's, uh, my son just laughed the loudest there. <laughs> Perhaps the only one that laughed because he sees it. Um, but you guys, I am, I'm overwhelmed uh, with God's love. Uh, for me, and it's not because I measure up, and that is readily apparent moment by moment. And you know, one thing I wanted to make real clear is uh, this unconditional love that God has. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't know if I can dispense of it, and I, I can't even freely receive it. It's like beyond comprehension because um, it seems like whenever I love, there's something in it for me. You get me? And uh, I just want to tell you a little story, maybe, I don't know, or maybe I'll just be silent. (laughs) Um, It's so bizarre, but the most loving thing that I, I'll just say it the way I think it, that God did through me was, was literally a week and a half ago. I'm with um, a friend and we're, we're shopping. And uh, he looks down the aisle, the soup aisle over at Bymart, and uh, he says, they, they don't have my favorite soup. And I went, oh, what's that? And he said, split pea with ham. And... Uh, About a week and a half ago, or a week and a half before that, my mother-in-law had made a huge thing of split pea soup. And I didn't have any of it because I can't stand it. (laughs) But uh, I'm in Bymart with this guy, and I separated myself from him. And I called my mother-in-law. I just said, is there any way? And I was about like this, to where I couldn't talk in the middle of Bymark for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm saying, is there any way you could make some split pea soup? Ram. And <laughs> she goes and buys a ham. Buys a big old ham to make this split pea soup that I could give to him. And can I just tell you, I, my heart was so full and I give it to the guy, and you, I, I don't even know if he really cared. He ate the soup, but the, I was, you know, I was kind of expecting this, oh, my word, that, you know, this type thing. None of it, just ate the soup. <laughs> and, I, and I sit there, and I just think, you know, and, and then I go into confession mode of just like going, wow, I didn't know I had so much attached to that act. And, and then this is what happens to me. And I don't know, I'm melancholy, so I'm in my head all the time. I did that when I said in my head. <laughs> uh, surely stop with the amen. It's the first time you've said amen in weeks, tell you. Craziness. I, I can start obsessing and judging myself over and over and over again and falling short. And this ministers to me so much as 1 Corinthians 4, right? 
where Paul, <clears throat> they've come and attacked him and like sarcastically called him a super apostle and all this type stuff. And he says, you know what? I care very little if you judge me. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but I leave that to him. My conscience is clear. That doesn't mean I'm righteous. Do you get what it's saying? I'm not trying to be righteous. He already did that. I'm just receiving and dispensing. Soup for crying out loud. And guess what? It was masterful because it didn't cost me a dime. <laughs> and my mother-in-law is just, I, she, is, she is just that way. I mean, she just was so, like, overjoyed to do it. And, and so then a week later, we made chicken noodle soup. And <laughs> um, because I think we get hung up on what is love. Like this morning, how, how do you love the person sitting next to you? It's a, I didn't realize just how like weird that concept is until somebody I was talking to thought that it was like, well, you got to go up and hug people. Well, no. I mean, that's kind of my go-to. But that's how I just kind of power through my own insecurities, honestly is to just go get it over with, go give him a hug. Um, but, but this is a guy that is an introvert, and we invite, we invite him to a New Year's Eve party, and 5 o'clock at night, the day before New Year's Eve, he doesn't want to go. So it's like, no. And then the next morning, 10 o'clock in the morning or something, he's like going, I'll go. Okay. So he and his wife come. And he led me through that whole process, that he's an introvert. He really did not want to go to a New Year's Eve party. But he read a text between his wife and my wife and how excited she was to go. But we can't. He would rather not. And he read that and he was broken. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. And it was the freaking life of the party. <laughs> you guys, we build it up. Like, so we, we see someone else and we go, oh, that's love and I can't do that. No, be you. Man, it's in splitting wood for other people to have that you might never even see them. It's, it's in giving money to Gabby that's getting people, getting kids from the garbage dump and teaching them school stuff. It's be you. And that, that I think, gets lost. We try to, we try to like, make a love such a huge deal. And man, it's, it's split pea soup and going to New Year's Eve party that you really don't want to go to. And, and it's reaching out. I mean, Jesus, it's like touching a leper. Was that his best buddy? No, yeah. he just, just touched him. Yeah. Had a conversation. He's, he's breaking all these societal norms and boundaries yeah. that they had created just yeah. to touch yeah. a leper. Yeah. To be there. Yeah. Uh. You know, as we close here, um, I couldn't help but be touched when I opened up the nugget a few weeks ago and there was a full spread ad of all the people who had died. Did you see that? And my, my first response was, 
while I appreciate they were being honored, my thought was, and you could read this in the article this week on caring for people, um, was who was caring for their spouses? Some of them had parents, some of them had children, some of them had spouses, brothers, sisters. Who was caring for those who were left behind? And it made me grateful for the fact that part of our mission is caring for people. And I thought about what we've done with Grief Share. And I thought about all those individuals that were part of that spread who left others behind who were grieving. And I thought, that's why the church exists. We exist to be a people who love and care and demonstrate who Jesus is not by measuring where they're at, but by giving ourselves to them wherever they're at. And so I, we've been loving this book of John, and, and uh, our time is kind of up, but I just pray, as Jim just said, that we would learn. It might be just you inviting someone to the movie to see Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It might be cooking breakfast for men. I mean, thank God for all the volunteers that are in our church that do so much for love's sake. They don't get paid. And the beauty of what God is doing, because Jesus said it clearly, if we love one another, the world will know who we are. And love changes things. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the example of Jesus and for the truth that he communicates and for the beauty of the symphony that he brings us into that we might love relationally obey doctrinally worship the incarnation and so father i pray that as we have just spent our morning just thinking about you we think of communion and the beauty of it and the reality of what you've done for us for love's sake, whether it's for God so loved the world or God commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners, we're reminded of it at the cross. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.